0: Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
1: Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture.
0: Thank you for joining us this second day of 2020 Thanks for letting us be part of your day. Hope you had a great holiday season and we're ready to charge into 2020. Spending a little time looking back at 2019 and mostly looking ahead to this new year. Joining us today will be the President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, Jeff Cooper. What will the 2020 be like for the renewable fuels industry? Some real challenges still with the RFS and how EPA handles small refinery exemptions. We'll kind of get some outlook from Jeff Cooper. Speaking of outlook, outlook for the cattle industry today from Kevin Good with Cattle Facts and for the pork industry from Steve Meyer, economist with Kearns & Associates. That's coming up later in today's program, of course. We look to be getting closer to that phase one trade deal with China. Reports are optimistic that'll be happening soon. We'll be keeping a close watch on that. But here at the beginning of the year, we kind of look back a little bit at 2019 and ahead to 2020. We're going to do so right now. What we need to know about taxes and Paul Neifer joins us, CPA with Clifton Larson Allen. Paul, thank you for joining us as we kick off this new year. Are there some uh, new tax rules that we need to be aware of?
2: Yeah, you know the the budget bill that was just passed uh, about a week, two weeks ago by uh, by Congress uh, added in what was called the they called it the Secure Act. Uh, I forget the, the all the terms or the the words of it, but essentially it made some major changes on retirement. So or retirement planning. So for like farmers, they're getting older. Uh, they normally, if they have a IRA or some type of retirement plan under the old law, they had to start taking those contributions, or take some distributions out starting at age 70 and a half. The new law is they get to wait until age 72 to start taking those distributions out, so that gives them a little bit extra time. And then secondly, under the old rules, if the farmer was age 70 and a half, and let's say they were still working and wanted to put money into an IRA, they were no longer allowed to put money into an IRA once they hit that age. The new law says, hey, you can be 95 years old and there are still some farmers out there. I've run across some farmers in their late 80s that are still farming, and they can now put money back into an IRA. So those are the two good rules. The one bad rule is if you had a fairly large IRA when you passed away, let's say you passed away suddenly and that went to your heirs, under the old rules you could take that money out. The heirs could take it out over their lifetime. Under the new rules are going to be – that period is going to be shrunk down to 10 years. So they're going to have to take the money out quicker, pay more taxes quicker so the government can get some of their money back in return for giving us a little bit more beneficial on the RMD rules and so on. So that's that's the one key thing that passed here in the last couple of weeks. Other than for farmers, too, the uh, biodiesel credit got extended through the end of 2020. So that that would help... uh, uh, those farmers that are, let's say, selling soybeans to a biodiesel plant, uh, that biodiesel plant will have some, you know, security in the fact that they're going to continue to get that credit at least through the end of this year.
0: We're talking with CPA with Clifton Larson Allen, Paul Neifer. Paul, here we are into a new year. Anything else? Any advice or tips on, on taxes that you're giving your clients this year?
2: Yeah, I, I think the the tip that we always to stress to our farmers is we don't want to eliminate income taxes we want to optimize income taxes uh, we have too many of our farmers that they really say, hey I don't want to pay any taxes if I don't have to and then uh, you know later on that comes back and bites them because they're gonna have all this income that comes out at a much higher tax rate there's certain credits there's certain deductions that are allowed so we want to make sure that we take advantage of that A couple other things I have heard repeatedly from farmers They continue to ask us, if I get a prevent plant payment, we know a lot of farmers, especially in the northern plains, had prevent plant payments. That actually qualifies as crop insurance, and they're allowed to defer that income into 2020 if they meet certain rules. And then secondly, they also ask, what about these MFP payments? Do I get to defer those payments into 2020? And the answer on that is no, you don't get to defer MFP payments. That is not crop insurance. You're not allowed to defer it. So that's just a payment that you're going to get due to the fact that we had some tariff issues. So those are a couple of the key things that uh, seem to be top of mind right now.
0: Anything pending or something we should be watching that could happen tax-wise here in 2020?
2: Well, I I think uh, not early in the year, but certainly there's a lot of pending changes that may occur based on the election. Uh, you know, if we get a complete change in the White House, a complete change in the Senate, and, and the House stays in Democratic control, uh, I think we are, in 2021, looking definitely at major tax changes. Uh, the biggest concern I'd have for farmers that have been pushing off some estate tax planning is right now they have a window to give away between a husband and wife maybe an extra eh, 12 to $15, maybe $20 million maybe 20000000 dollars of net worth and keep it out of that estate tax regime, because I think if we get a major change, that window's going to shut very quickly. I think 2020 might be the last year that they can do that. So that's something you need to have on our radar, but again, it's a little bit farther down the road, but it could certainly, the end of 2020 will give us an idea of what we're looking at then
0: overall 2019 and the tax laws and policies that were in place uh, how, how do you think agriculture fared with those
2: you know i, I think uh, uh, there really was hardly any changes at all i think ag probably came out pretty good uh you know we got the extension of the biodiesel credit so that was good the secure act certainly doesn't hurt many of my farmers it mostly helps my farmers so i think all in all uh, 19 tax changes that were very few, especially compared to the year before, it uh, definitely helped to act. There, there certainly is some calculations in this 20% net income uh, deduction, the 199A deduction that we've talked about before. There's been some nuances on that. Maybe it's curtailed that deduction a little bit, uh, but not that much. So I think all in all, it hasn't been too bad of a year.
0: And we'll see what happens in 2020. You mentioned the... Uh, uh, Market Facilitation Program payments—that was a big part of, of 2019, and we'll we'll see what happens with those in 2020. Whether there'll be more of those coming?
2: Yeah, I, I you know, do you think? Uh, I, I don't know what the chatter has been. but I'm not sure they're going to issue the last payment. I think they probably will. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, if we get a, a you know a phase one deal done, uh, is there no longer any tariff issues that we have to worry about? I just don't know if that last tranche of payments will be made or not.
0: Well, it is an election year, so that could change everything that could influence uh, what happens with those, that's for sure. And and again, how long does it take a deal with China, even if it's announced uh, for it to be implemented and take, you know, we start seeing the impact of it. A lot of timing issues there. So so we shall see. Well, Paul, good to talk with you again. Uh, Thanks for the update. We'll check in again uh, later in the year. Okay, thanks, Mike. Bye-bye. Take care. All right, that's Paul Neifer, CPA with Clifton Larson Allen. All right, later in the program, outlook for the cattle market and the pork market for this year. But up next, Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Uh, the biofuels industry did not get the news that they hoped for at the end of last year. What does that mean for 2020? We'll talk with Jeff about that coming up next. Stay with us here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up.
3: Whether you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy-duty diesel like Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as 4.5% and fuel economy by up to 5%. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, which diesel would you be? Senex premium diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around.
0: Recently on Adams on Agriculture, the country of origin labeling issue is uh, a controversial one, strong views and emotional opinions on both sides of this. There's a lot here to uh, sort through. And we're going to do that now with Ethan Lane, who is vice president, government affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association.
4: What we're starting to look at and zero in on is whether or not that broad description product of the USA is really too ambiguous to be used. I mean, it's important to, to make clear here. We don't think anybody is doing anything wrong. We, we don't think that, that anyone's outside of the boundaries of what's compliant right now with FSIS's guidelines. What we're talking about and, and working through with everyone in this value chain is whether or not we're just at a point where we need to get out of the business of putting a broad label like that, that's fairly ambiguous in place in favor of either no origin marketing claim or a more specific marketing claim
0: for the information important to rule america join us on adams on agriculture
4: if your soil could talk what would it say if it's healthy, it may already be saying some good things about your future. Because farmers who use soil health building systems that include no-till, cover crops, and diverse species and rotations report greater productivity, profitability, and resiliency to weather extremes. Learn more about what your soil is saying about its health and your future. Contact your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation
5: Service office today. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station.
6: My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction. Plus, the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs, running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early, like they did with my mom. Donate today. 800-745-3327. 745 3327
1: Well, there were some
0: positive developments at the end of last year for agriculture that kind of sets a positive tone, at least to start off 2020, the uh, passage of USMCA in the House, an expected passage soon in the Senate, and of course uh, the tax extenders package, which was very good news for the uh, biodiesel industry. So there were some things that happened there at the end of 2019 that hopefully will set us up for a better 2020. But one of the things We were hoping for that did not happen, and that was a change in policy when it comes to handling of the RFS and small refinery exemptions. The biofuels industry very disappointed with the action or lack of action by the administration at the end of 2019. And what does that set up for us in 2020? Let's talk about it now with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO for the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, thanks for joining us. I know a positive would be a China deal. That could really open a big market for ethanol. We hope that'll be a positive for the biofuels industry this year. But uh, I know you're very disappointed with uh, what uh, turned out did not happen when it comes to uh, how the administration plans to handle the RFS moving forward.
7: Well, that's right, Mike, and and Happy New Year to you. Uh, uh, We're we're not terribly uh, excited about the way EPA finalized the 2020 RVO rule uh, there the week before Christmas. Uh, You know, we'd been promised all the way back in September and again in October that EPA was going to reallocate uh, any small refinery exemptions that it intended to give in 2020, and so the net effect of that would be we're, we're, we're going to have a requirement for 15 billion gallons of, of renewable fuel no matter what. Well, when the final rule came out, uh, it didn't uh, go nearly as far as it needed to to ensure that those exemptions will be fully reallocated. And we're concerned uh, that uh, EPA could again grant more exemptions than it projected, uh, which would have us, you know, ha- have the actual requirement below 15 billion gallons again for, for 2020. Uh, so not uh, not what we were looking for, not what we were promised. Uh, but uh, as you pointed out, there was a flurry of activity right there that week before Christmas, and, and mixed in with the bad news around the RFS was some good news on, on a few other things, uh, the tax extenders package and, and USMCA being two of those. Uh, so anyway, we're hopeful that 2020 uh, gets off to a better start. I mean, we're, we're going to do everything we can this year to hold EPA's feet to the fire, they said. Uh, look, trust us. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna reallocate all these uh, small refiner exemptions. We're gonna follow DOE's recommendations on these things. Uh, so we're gonna hold their feet to the fire on those promises. And and if they do, in fact, make good on those commitments, uh, then we could, for the first time, see a 15 billion gallon RFS enforced. But uh, the proof will be in the pudding.
0: Hard to trust EPA on this based on their history.
7: That's right. They just don't have a good track record of, of of enforcing the RFS program in a way that's consistent with the statute. Mike, you got to go all the way back to 2013 uh, to see the last year when EPA uh, fully enforced the conventional renewable fuel uh, requirement, and at, at that time it was 13.8 billion gallons. That's that was the the, the number on the books. Uh, that's what EPA enforced that year. Uh, every year since then. Uh, We've seen EPA, uh, both under the current administration and the previous administration, undermining that that volume, undermining that requirement through all sorts of gimmicks and, and waivers that we believe are being inappropriately used.
0: You know, that's a good point. Everybody wants to look at things in today's world through political lenses, Republican and Democrat, but we've seen this happen now with Two administrations, two different parties, uh, undermining the RFS. What do you think happened this time, Jeff? I mean, you looked like you had a deal. Senator Grassley thought there was a deal, and then there wasn't a deal. What happened?
7: Well, Mike, I think, uh, you know, again, the the, the fact that the RFS program has been undermined in in this current administration as well as the the previous administration I think is evidence uh, that the oil industry has tremendous clout and influence with the Environmental Protection Agency, regardless of, of who is uh, sitting in the seat as administrator uh, and regardless of, of who the career staff, uh, people who are you know writing these rules and working on these programs, uh, they're able to uh, exert that influence in a way that, that has continued to lead to erosion of the RFS. Uh, regardless, again, of, of political party or persuasion, uh, it, it's been a real challenge to try and... Uh, fight that fight that influence that that we know uh, the the oil industry has within the administration um, so you know again we're hopeful that uh, uh, that EPA follows through on its commitment we're we're wary and skeptical that they will based on their track record uh, but we're going to do everything in our power to make sure they they stick to the deal um, you know even though it isn't the deal we thought we had uh... it's it's better than where we started i guess um... and there still is a chance we could get that fifteen billion uh... but it's going to take epa sticking to its word and that's something they haven't done the last several years
0: i guess we'll find out fairly soon the request for waivers already coming in
7: yeah that's right um... they will be you know epa will be deciding the twenty nineteen exemption requests here in the next few weeks uh... they've already received sixteen requests for exemptions from twenty nineteen and so when refiners go to demonstrate to EPA that, yes, we, we complied with our 2019 RFS uh, obligations, you know, that, that comes up in the next few months. And, and so EPA will be determining um, who, if, if any of these refiners, will be let out of, of that obligation. So along with the 2020 rule, you know, EPA also, you know, promised that, hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to show you that we mean business and we're going to show you that we're serious about reining uh, these SREs in. Uh, when we go to decide these 2019 exemptions. And we're going to start following DOE recommendations on the 2019. So we should see here in the next few months uh, whether that is accurate or, or not.
0: Meanwhile, let's talk something very positive that could be uh, for the ethanol industry and all of agriculture, really, and that is if, indeed, we get a deal done with China. Uh, we, yeah. we talked about this several times. That market has tremendous potential for ethanol you were just starting to realize some of that potential when all the trade wars started, uh, but now looking to this year and beyond, do you see that market opening up to ethanol?
7: Well, well, we do, and and we are uh, optimistic that ethanol and distillers grains both will be included in the phase one uh, deal when it's announced. To you know, we we've seen in the last few days the president say that uh, January fifteenth is the big day where he's going to be uh, announcing the details of the phase one. Uh, agreement with China and and, you know we obviously think it's a it's a no-brainer that ethanol needs to be part of that package Uh, distiller's grains need to be part of that package we're told that they're in there we just don't know the details on on volumes or or values Um, but yes I mean uh, the the Chinese market of course is is a huge potential market for both products Uh, we were beginning to see some some progress and growth in that market uh... back in twenty sixteen it was actually our third leading market we sent 200 million gallons of ethanol to china uh... and then they hit us with an initial tariff and then the trade wars really fired up and they slapped another you know another thirty five percent on top of that so we have a seventy percent tariff currently with china and obviously we're not sending any ethanol to them today as a result of that so uh... we do want to get back to where we were in twenty sixteen as a starting point uh, and we think you know there's there's a potential to grow exports to China uh, into several hundred million gallons uh, per year. You know, 500, 600 million gallons of exports uh, in the next several years, we think, is is certainly feasible. Uh, you know, that's the second largest gasoline market in the world, uh, only behind the U.S. So there is lots of uh, untapped potential to blend ethanol into gasoline there. They're beginning to recognize the air quality benefits of, of using more ethanol uh, and that bodes well for us as well. so we we are optimistic about China. Uh, we We are very hopeful that uh, when the the details are announced here in a few weeks, uh, ethanol is going to have a, a central role in that uh, phase one agreement.
0: And before we let you go, can we export our way to profitability in the uh, ethanol industry?
7: Well, I mean, you know, a deal with China would be a huge shot in the arm. I think it would uh, be a a phenomenal signal to the industry that needs some good news and some positive signals right now. Uh, But export markets are fickle, I think, as everybody knows, and and they come and go. Uh, So we need to continue to focus on building domestic demand as as well uh, and capitalize on that export demand when it's there. But uh, we need to continue to grow our markets here in the U.S., too.
0: Of course, as we've seen, domestic policy is fickle, too, isn't it?
7: <laughs> it certainly is, if EPA has anything to say about it. Yeah.
0: All right, Jeff, thank you. We'll talk often this year. Look forward to seeing you next month at the uh, National Ethanol Conference in Houston. We'll have lots to talk about.
7: Looking forward to it, Mike. Thanks so much.
0: Take care. Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Well, what's ahead for the cattle market, for the beef industry in 2020? Some positive signs, some uh, kind of a good vibe going into the year, but uh, how... Will that play out? What will it take for the beef uh, industry to see a big year in 2020? We're going to talk about that with Kevin Good with Cattle Facts. We have Outlook for 2020 coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA.
8: The sounds of success vary from person to person. Success sounds like this to a Credence soybean grower. Along with 43 new varieties this year, Credence soybeans come with agronomic expertise from BASF. That means expert advisors who bring local insights on seed selection, management decisions, and crop protection options. Knowing the kind of success you're shooting for? That's smart. Talk
1: to your authorized Credence retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions.
0: Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up.
9: Hey, it's me, your cell phone. We need to talk about something, something serious. I know you love me. I know you like using me wherever you are, but I feel like this isn't working out when you're driving. I know you may think that it's possible to focus both on me and the road, but I just don't feel the same way. I think we should spend time away from each other when you're driving. It's for the best
1: visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. As one year comes to a close and the promise of a new year begins, we at Adams on Agriculture would like to take this time to wish you a very merry Christmas and a safe, happy, and prosperous new year. As we look forward to 2020 with a renewed optimism, we hope for the very best for American farm families and those involved in the ag industry as we continue to feed the world. So from the Adams on Agriculture family to yours, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.
10: Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. On the first trading day of 2020, grain traders are focused on two things. The signing of a partial U.S.-China trade deal and the next WASDU report from the USDA, which is due out Friday, January 10th. Traders will continue to focus on U.S.-Chinese headlines until a deal is signed, but next week's USDA report estimates will also soon become a feature. Thanks to an announcement of high level Chinese executives coming to Washington, D.C. to sign a phase one deal on January 15th. Soybean futures on the Board of Trade may see some gains, although upticks may be limited unless next week's WASD report shows final production figures for grains. On the Board of Trade, March soybeans trading three and a quarter of a cent higher at 958 and three quarters. March corn up two and a half cent at three hundred ninety and a quarter of a cent. March Minneapolis Spring Wheat up four and a quarter at five hundred sixty five. March Kansas City wheat up eight and a half cent at four hundred ninety four and three quarters of a cent. March Chicago wheat up six and a half cent at five sixty five and a quarter of a cent. Limited market activity is seen as livestock traders trickle back into the market from the New Year's celebrations. The midweek holiday is likely to keep trade volume generally limited through the rest of the week. Cash cattle markets still remain quiet with bids still undeveloped. Asking prices are reinstated following the holiday break at $125 per hundredweight live in the south and $200 per hundredweight and higher dressed in the north. On the Board of Trade... April live cattle down 25 at 126.95. March feeders down 17 at 144.05. April lean hogs trading two cents lower at 77.95. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. 180 over
9: 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back
0: on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org.
1: I had to toe, Everything's changed Head to toe. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council
0: well, let's get some 2020 outlook for the cattle market. Joining us now is Kevin Good with Cattle Facts. Kevin, Happy New Year. Thank you for joining us. It just feels like uh, there's a tone, there's a vibe here that this could be a, a very good year for uh, the, the cattle industry. Am I overly optimistic or would you agree?
8: Well, Mike, first of all, Happy New Year to you. It's, uh, as we turn the page and look at 2020, I think uh, we do have some things out there that uh, we can be rather optimistic about. I think most folks would suggest that uh, we'll have uh, better traction as far as global trade, which should be supportive as we think about prices here domestically. You know, First of all, I think we, we finished up 2019 in pretty good fashion, despite a A huge hiccup the second half of the year with the plant fire in Holcomb, Kansas. That really did uh, uh, set the market back there for the four-month period that uh, they were not harvesting at that particular plant. But the market has came back very nicely here at the end of uh, 2019, and we're basically starting 2020 and turning the page and and rather optimistic that we can hold prices together, if not improve a little bit.
0: The fire that you just referenced is a reminder that things like that can happen unforeseen and really kind of set set things back
8: yeah absolutely you know we we can talk about a black swan event, and it was definitely one of those events because uh you know as it occurred you know within a within a week two weeks time frame, you know the futures had dropped ten to fifteen dollars, the cash market has dropped had dropped ten dollars on the on the live cattle and more on feeders and calves and uh, like I say, it took a uh, four months to get back to where we were pre-fire pre, uh, uh, levels as we think about some of the classes of cattle.
0: All right, so we have the U.S.-Japan deal. Uh, looks like yes. we're about to get USMCA. We may get a deal with China. China, of course, we think primarily, uh, well, we think soybeans a lot, but been thinking a lot about pork because of African swine fever. But as we've talked about before, That has created just this huge opening and need there for protein, which should benefit uh, beef as well, right? I mean, that's an opportunity for the U.S. beef industry.
8: Yeah, absolutely. It's supportive to all proteins. And, you know, as we think about it, of course, they opened the borders to to poultry here about a month ago. And so we would expect to see some pretty big shipments of poultry going into that particular market. Uh, Pork, you know, huge increases year over year, although there's other spots you know, EU and Brazil that are getting the lion's share of that increased uh, uh, product going into China. On the beef side, we do expect to see some access, whether uh, uh, it's it's a, it's with strings attached or not. Only time will tell. But we we are optimistic that all proteins will benefit. One one protein that we might not think about uh, that often is milk, though. And from a global milk price standpoint, it's been very supportive, which has supported uh, the dollar value of of milk products that are exported for the U.S., which has supported uh, our domestic milk prices, and therefore profitability has returned to the dairy industry in late 2019 after having a rough couple years.
0: Yeah, we're going to get some uh, dairy outlook coming up on tomorrow's program. But indeed, China is one of those markets big enough to lift a lot of boats, and hopefully it will for U.S. agriculture in 2020. We're talking with Kevin Good with, with Cattle Facts. Kevin, what do you expect as far as domestic demand, and do you see any impact this year from these imitation uh, meat products coming into the marketplace?
8: Yeah, well, you know, there's there's no doubt that uh, the the imitation product is gonna is here to stay. Of course, it's been in our market for decades. But it's just uh, it's gotten a lot more traction and more popularity over the last couple of years. With and uh, because of that, Mike, I think we're we're stuck with that competition in our marketplace. We frankly don't see it as being overwhelming as far as taking market share, but uh, unfortunately, it will take some market share over time as we go forward. Domestic demand we see is rather robust. You can say, you know, we've got pretty much full employment. wages are going up at or above the rate of inflation here recently. So there's just more dollars to spend, and you can really see it. It's at retail. You can see it at food service. Uh, domestic demand is, is stout. It's, it's very stout.
0: Historically, a good economy is good news for the beef industry.
8: Absolutely is. And if you go back over the last 20, 30 years, Mike, really the only years that you see prices, if we're talking retail or wholesale beef prices, decline year over year, you know, typically would be if you have a recessionary period. So uh, barring a recession, you know, we would suggest that prices, wholesale, retail, and therefore as we go on to fed cattle values in 2020, we think will average higher than they did in 2019.
0: Yeah, let's uh, let's get into some prices. What kind of price ranges are you looking at this
5: year?
8: Well, we think about it over the last few years, and we've had a Fed market that's averaged kind of one seventeen to one twenty has been kind of the annual average over the last three years. And as we go into twenty twenty, you know, we think we'll be in that same ballpark one eighteen one twenty. I think is a pretty good gauge and reference point. Last year we averaged one sixteen seventy five. So we think we can put a couple of dollars back on it.
0: You know, we talk a lot about uh, hoping to see an uh, uh, improvement in, in grain prices. Well, that's if you're on the selling side. If you're on the buying side, uh, that, it's a it's a different story. Uh, what are you expecting and looking at? How do, you, how do you figure that in here in 2020?
8: Yeah, you know, just, just thinking about grain values, our, our take on grain values is, you know, this past year, you know, we had the big run-up with because we were too wet and we thought we couldn't get the crop in the ground. Uh, barring that, which we don't think we'll see again here this year, we would suggest on average grain values would be about 20 cents softer in 2020 versus 2019. So really in the same kind of range uh, that we've been in the last four to five years. So we see that kind of as a non-event as we talk about uh, cattle values. Uh, we think we've got a spot in here, if we think about last fall, uh, because the devalued calf values in particular after the plant fire, uh, we've, got a, we've got a round of cattle on feed as we go through the first half of 2020 that we think will be profitable. So uh, that, that segment of the business we think will get along pretty good this year.
0: What about herd expansion? Where are we, and do you have any concerns about expanding too quickly?
8: Well, to, to, we'll get that data out here at the end of the month from the USDA, but as we've closed up 2019, You know, you saw a a spike or an elevation of beef cow slaughter, in particular in the northern plains where they went through the tough winter and spring a year ago. Uh, the, the preg check rates were not very good in some of those areas last fall. So you did see a bigger beef cow run, you know, as we went through the end of last year. We look at heifer slaughter that's been a little bit elevated the last couple of years as a trend. You do it on a balance sheet, Mike, and it really tells you that we've plateaued the cattle herd after six years of expansion. So we think supplies are going to be rather flat as we go over the next couple of years just looking at the total herd. Uh, there's enough cattle in the pipeline, though, that we will produce more product here in 2020 than we did a year ago.
0: Okay, so you overall, you see 2020 – we know there will be plenty of unforeseen things coming, but based on what we know now, what we see now, you think this is going to be a good year for uh, beef producers in 2020?
8: It, you know, generally speaking, it is. You know, we get back to the cow calf producer and we think about uh, the prices we were at this past fall, and unfortunately, when we sold a lot of the fall run, you know, we had steer calf values between about fifty $1.50 and about fifty-five at the, you know, for a couple months there, and that really. For a lot of producers, doesn't do them a, a lot of good financially. It's kind of a, a break-even kind of a level. You know, we do think that we can average a little bit higher as we go through 2020, uh, but uh, by no means do we see the price levels that we experienced back there in, in uh, 2014, 2015 at the peak. We don't see that returning anytime soon. But generally speaking, this year I think will be a tick better than uh, what we experienced this past year
0: and then if we continue to get good news uh, on the export front on trade that that builds a uh, a good foundation for moving forward beyond this year
8: it 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 really does uh it really does although we we need to from a long-term perspective you know if we're going to grow animal protein production domestically we have to uh lean on the rest of the world more and more which is beneficial as long as we have trade we don't have trade barriers and tariffs and things like that. So we, we need to recognize that uh, there there can always be that black swan event or, or some of the things that uh, can throw a, a monkey wrench in our in our process.
0: And the other part of that, Kevin, is, as, as we stated, our economy has a big impact and bearing on domestic demand. Well, those foreign economies, ha- that has a big impact on foreign demand because we've seen in those other countries, like we see here, when the economy is good, people have more disposable income, uh, then usually that, that bodes well for, for beef, and they, like to, they, they want that beef and that demand is there when they have uh, the resources to purchase it.
8: Oh, absolutely. And, and, and thankfully, as we think about our product, you know, we continue to hold a very wide premium over pork and poultry domestically. And mm-hmm. it is, it's, it's preference. It's a consumer preference. If they've got dollars to spend, they'd rather spend it on beef. Uh, the same can be said if you look at global prices for proteins. You know, on this last few months, uh, logically you would have thought that uh, pork prices would have gone up the most globally. Actually, it's been beef. And so it, it also would say the same thing, that uh, from a global standpoint, if, if folks have some dollars to spend, uh, their preference actually would be for, for beef.
0: All right, so we'll see what happens in 2020. As you said, it may not be a record year, but uh, there are indications it could be a good year, and we'll, we'll talk about, about that throughout the year, and we'll see you in uh, San Antonio in about a month for the uh, NCBA convention, the, the uh, Beef Industry Convention. See you then.
8: Sounds good, Mike. Good to be with you. All
0: right, take care. Kevin Good with Thanks. Cattle Facts. All right, so what's ahead this coming year for the pork industry? China, African swine fever, those are big issues we'll talk about next with Steve Meyer, economist with Kearns and Associates. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up.
1: No word in the English language is less convincing
0: Joining us now is Jake Parker, Senior Vice President of the U.S.-China Business Council. Big news, of course, is it looks like we're very close to that phase one trade deal with China. Jake, thank you for joining us. What's in this package?
4: So what's in the package now is we have some commitments on intellectual property, technology transfer, the part that's very important to your listeners, agriculture, which I think was one of the big winners in the agreement, financial services liberalization on China's side. There's going to be some focus on currency uh, manipulation and ensuring that there's stability there going forward. Then there's a big component on expanding trade. This is the purchases piece that we've heard about. Uh, The U.S. has announced $200 billion in purchases over the 2017 numbers over a two-year period. So a big part of that would have to be agricultural products. We haven't seen the Chinese uh, echo that sentiment, so we're we're hopeful for additional details in the weeks uh, ahead.
0: For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
1: Did you ever ride your bike with a pin and a baseball card? Or use a typewriter for a school paper? Then here's a timely alert. Americans born from 1945 to 1965 are five times more likely to have Hepatitis C, which often has no symptoms, but is a leading cause of liver cancer. The good news? Treatments are available that can cure Hepatitis C. Talk with your doctor about getting a blood test for Hepatitis C. Know for sure. A message from the CDC.
9: A message brought to you by Heart valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org.
3: Time is money, right? And money, well, it's the whole reason we go to work every day. Senex Premium Diesel protects both with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Senex Roadmaster XL helps your entire fuel system stay up and running, so you can count more profits and steer clear of losses. Now don't spend all that free time in one place, unless it's the highway. Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
0: You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world.
1: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know adams on agriculture now back to mike adams and
0: joining us now is steve meyer economist with Kearns and associates for some pork market outlook for 2020 steve thanks for joining us what are you expecting here in the new year
4: a lot of pigs mike i think that's uh the the lesson we got from the december hogs and pigs report that wasn't a real surprise to us but uh continued growth of breeding herd, continued growth in productivity, um, you know lots of hog numbers. Um, we think that uh, demand has been very good the last year. domestic demand up four percent or so through October. that's the latest data we have and and growing exports. and the, the issue still is uh, you know the of the top ten factors for the market this next year, the first seven are China.
0: So we have a lot of product. We need to move it, and China would seem to be the key. Uh, we'll see what happens in this uh, phase one deal that we're expecting, but uh, we know there's this big demand buildup there because of African swine fever. Uh, what do you think is the potential there for what we could move into that market?
4: Well, the potential is way more than we can even produce, okay, because you got to remember that uh, they had about 50% of the world's pigs, and everything we know is they've lost – Probably at least fifty percent of those, so that's a quarter of the world's pigs gone, and so uh, you know we we produce about ten percent of the world's supply. So if they they decided they needed to replace all of them, we wouldn't have enough product, neither with the Europeans, neither with the Brazilians. But that's not going to happen because the price there has gone up, and it's going to ration some of that demand. And so uh, you know the numbers could be staggering for us. We've got about a twenty-five percent increase in our uh, in our. Per- Projections for 2020 on exports, total exports. Of course, the lion's share of that would be increased to China, and that would put us up near 32, 33 percent of our production being exported. Those are huge. Those are huge increases. And still, they don't fill the the, the hole that's left in China. So um, it could be very large if they decide they want to replace a higher percentage of their pork. Um, obviously, uh, the relationships between the two countries have been very cold, and. Uh, whether this phase one deal says that that's warming up enough to uh, really change those numbers uh, remains to be seen. Obviously, we're better off with it than we were without it. So we have to say that that's progress. Uh, But, um, you know, the the numbers are staggering as far as the losses over there. And they're going to backfill those some with chicken and some with beef and some with just eating less pork. Uh, A friend of ours got back from China back before christmas and said you know you used to buy a noodle bowl over there and get quite a bit of pork in it and now you get a couple of little pieces so uh there are ways to ration it
2: so
0: uh you have said before that uh when we're before we get too carried away we do have uh limitations with our packing capacity even with some new plants on board
4: yeah we ran into that pretty pretty big time this fall now we were able to get all the hogs slaughtered and get them slaughtered in a pretty timely fashion. Uh, the weights tell us that we didn't back hogs up too much at all. There were a few times that we did. But we put the packers in a position where they did not have to work at all to get enough hogs to run their plants at full capacity. And so they, it's, a, it's a matter of leverage. And if you, if you have just a few hogs short of what they'd like to run, then the producers have leverage, and that's good for prices. If you have just a few hogs more than what they'd like to run, then the leverage goes to the packer, and he can sit back and just kind of wait until you come to him on price, and that's where we've been in the fourth quarter of 2019. Now, we think that's going to change some. Uh, We think uh, from the hogs and pigs report that we're going to drop the slaughter total by, oh, a couple hundred thousand head a week here in the next month, and that will change the leverage position very quickly. But all those shiny new plants that we built the last uh, three years, uh, they were running pretty well full. Now, the Prestige plant in Iowa still isn't full on its first shift. Uh, I mean, it's a labor limitation uh, is the main or main limitation there. And uh, they should be up full by April. Uh, but we will have no more capacity or very little more capacity added between now and next fall. Uh, the, the Laverne, Minnesota plant that uh, Premium Iowa Pork is remodeling will come online at about 3,500 head per day. Now, there's no guarantee they're going to be able to kill that many uh, because of labor. But still, that's what their capacity will be. And there will be a few tweaks in some other plants, but no other major increases this year. Uh, Prestige could add a shift. Uh, We don't think they're going to probably do that in 2020 from a labor standpoint. Same is true of Coldwater, Michigan, the, uh, the Clemens Food Group plant there. And then there's a major remodel going on at the plant at Fremont, Nebraska. It used to be owned by Hormel, is now owned by Wholestone Foods. And that major remodel uh, is going to result in a double shift, but we don't think that will be long before the end of 2021 at the earliest. So so growth this year is going to put us in a tougher spot in the fourth quarter of 2020 than we were in in the fall, fall of 2019, we think.
0: All right. So, give us some numbers. What are you thinking price wise? Price range for this year?
4: Well, we think prices are going to be higher. Uh, I think don't think there's much question about that. That's that's good news uh, because of the strength in demand. Uh, but uh, we also think that we're going to have some real problems in the fourth quarter. And when we look at the, when we look at our price forecast for the year, um, you know, we look at. The, We looked at that fall, uh, the second half of the year on the futures right now, and they look uh, like a real opportunity for producers uh, to be pricing some hogs. Now we've got hogs in the uh, the the lower 70s for the first quarter, and this is national net price up in the lower 80s for the second quarter, and then some real pressure on prices the rest of the year. Uh, You know, uh, upper 60s, lower 70s for the third quarter, and well down into the 50s for the fourth quarter is what we have now. And right now. Uh, you've got a futures market that's offering you 86 bucks in the third quarter and 72 or so in the fourth quarter. Um, now, that's kind of assuming normal basis. Uh, we haven't had anywhere near normal basis levels this last year because at all times uh, the, the, the uh, futures market has been optimistic. And so uh, as we get into the spot month, the cash market will be under some pressure. The futures stayed up there, and you never could. Uh, you never could uh, buy those those futures contracts back cheap enough to realize a profit on your hedge position. So the basis thing has been tough, and I think it's probably going to remain tough here for, for the foreseeable future.
0: All right, some pork market outlook from Steve Meyer, economist for Kearns and Associates. Steve, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot.
4: You bet, Mike. Thank you.
0: All right, Happy New take Year. care. Happy New Year to you as well. All right, tomorrow we'll have some dairy industry, some dairy market outlook as well as look at some other key issues as well for 2020. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA.